0: Past week. I had a great week uh, in just, you know, participating in it. It was just, it was wonderful, and I do believe it's part of fighting against the beast, as uh, we're talking about again today. So let's pray as we begin uh, this uh, chapter 2, verses 12 to 29. Actually, I wrote about five messages for today, and um, I, I decided to be fair to the scripture and not get carried away in all the minutiae and minor details. And we're going to take two churches today because they really make the same point. Uh but there's so much in so many detail that I go down so many different roads. By God's grace I will not go down too many of those little tangents and we can stand the main point that I believe God has for us, that's clearly the main point in this text, uh, which draws on a lot of old testament scripture as well. So uh pray with me as we uh, I, I was up in the middle of the night again thinking about it, the applications and all what it meant for us, because it's like I guess each word of revelation, it's a heavy word and I wrestled with God. What do you what does it really mean for us? And And as as Jerry said to me, I said, Jerry, what do you think it means for us? He goes, I'm just glad I'm not in your shoes. And um, that wasn't very helpful, but uh, it did humble me to uh, pray. So let's pray as we begin. And Father, we thank you that all of the Bible is your word. And uh, from Leviticus to uh, Numbers to Psalms to Job to Ecclesiastes to Revelation, And we thank you, Father, for just an opportunity as a family to dive into a book that's really been unexplored by many of us for most of our lives and really much of the church around the world. And I pray, God, that you would open up our eyes. Father, you've got revelation for us. You've got a word for us. You've got a life that you're calling us to live in the midst of 21st century uh, United States of America. And I pray, God, that we'd be faithful, even unto death, that we'd witness to your truth and who you are, unafraid, Lord, of consequences, unafraid of suffering bearing to the truth of Jesus, who is risen alive, and that, Lord, your kingdom may come. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, you know know the story of uh, Troy, the Trojan horse? For ten years, the Greeks were trying to conquer the city of Troy. They couldn't get in because they had these huge walls, and and, uh, it was an ancient metropolis. It was impenetrable, and they couldn't get in. And so what the Greeks did was they built this big, giant, wooden horse, and inside the horse... It uh, was, was empty, and all these soldiers got inside the horse. And, and what they did was uh, they, they brought the horse to, the, to the, city, the city gates, outside the city gates. And uh, the Trojans thought that um, the Greeks were surrendering, offering a peaceful gift. And uh, so they invited the horse in. They took the horse in. They closed the gates, and they had a big party and a feast that night. And all got drunk in and, uh, and their victory. And so what happened that night was the Greeks, in their drunkenness, I mean, came out of the horse, busted through the wooden horse, And they beat the, you know, they killed the sentries on the wall, and then they opened the city gates, and all the army of Greek came in and they they conquered Troy. And that's the great story of the Trojan horse. They couldn't get in from the outside, so they figured out a plan to get in from the inside through a trick through a Trojan horse. And that really is kind of what this story is about here in this these two churches, because we've been talking about resisting the beast. And that the beast in this text here we're going to read comes inside the church. Kind of like a Trojan horse and no one's expecting it no one's thinking about it, it's going to happen this way but before they know it the beast has gotten on the inside and has captured and destroyed the church not immediately and destroyed people's lives but really in generations to come through bringing in a variety of falsehood and lies and all that stuff so again you know this book is written to seven churches in in present day turkey asia minor and uh, uh they're under intense pressure they're under persecution from the Roman empire in the 1st century uh people are being killed and the Roman Empire is pictured later in the book as a beast, or as actually a, a prostitute, Babylon the Great, a prostitute sitting on a horse. And uh, But this theme of the beast is a nice one for us, because the book is full of images and symbols to help us kind of get pictures and get moved emotionally. And so, again, you picture this beast, which is the Roman Empire, which is seeking to crush the church. And inside the beast, or behind the beast, is satanic power uh, from hell out to destroy the churches and your witness to Jesus. And the beast spews out lies and propaganda day and night to suck in its victims and crush her voice. And so, we talked about last week how Christians are called to witness to the truth of God and his righteousness over and against the lies of the beast that are idolatry. But it's a costly choice, and suffering's involved, and even death. And so, what's happening here in these two churches, Pergamum and Thyatira, which is in chapter two, that uh, the Trojan horse is inside the church. And... True Christianity is compromising with the idolatries of the beast. And Jesus has some strong feelings about it. And so I just wrote a couple of verses up that we're going to read in just a minute. Uh, You know, Jesus says, I have a few things against you. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't need Jesus having anything against me. I have enough problems. (laughs) He says, repent or I will come and will fight against you with the sword of my mouth. So, I mean... Imagine Jesus coming to the church. He's not talking about final judgment here. He's talking about to the church. He says, if you don't get this thing in order, he goes, I want you to, I'm going to come and I'm going to fight against you. That's pretty heavy, huh? We don't know what exactly that means, but I don't want to find out either. And in verse 20, he goes, I have this against you. You tolerate that other woman Jezebel. So, okay. So you get, you get a drift. And actually, he says in the second church that for tolerating this, that some of the ones who are following this teaching, are actually going to, get, are going to be physically sick. There's going to be actually consequences in your physical body, which is it's very heavy. Again, we don't know all that happened and what he meant. We don't know. Hopefully, they repented. But you've got tremendous uh, words of, oh, I guess, anger or, or, or outrage from Jesus that this is going on inside his true church. And again, I want you to get the picture of the Trojan horse on the inside. So with that, let's begin reading... Um, uh, from chapter 2, verse 12. I can go back to the first, maybe the first, yeah, okay. The churches of Pergamum and Thyatira. So try to hang with me here. I'll make a few comments along the way. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write: these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Just a quick note here. Du- sharp double-edged sword was only, the only one who had the, the power of the sword was the Roman governors or Roman emperor. And Pergamum was the capital of the Roman government in Asia. And so the only person who had the power of the sword, which was actually a, a little Latin word that the Greeks had, that the uh, Romans had, was the Roman proconsul who declare life and death. And so remember, when Jesus was crucified, they had to go to Pilate, because only Pilate under, under the, Rome had to, had to, could say life or death for Jesus. And so Jesus said, I want you to know something as we start this whole thing out. These are the words of him who has a sharp, double-edged sword. It's not Rome that has it. I've got it. Catch that? It's a play here. All right, verse 13. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Some of you are saying, that's my house. <laughs> Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who, has, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. All right, now hang on there. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, writes, the city not far from Pergamum, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire. He sees through everything. And whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your and faith, and service, and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. That's good. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, that all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. And I will repay each of you according to your deeds." now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who, have, who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I received authority from my father, I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. All right. By God's grace, we're going to hear what he has, the Spirit has to say, and uh, we will end with communion. It's our response of repentance back to God. So let's go. With, basically, the problem here is simple as this. The theme is is compromising with the beast. If you can That's kind of a nice image to encapsulate what's going on here. And uh, he says in Pergamon, go back. I spent most of my time in the church of Pergamon. But he goes, I, I know where you live, verse 13, where Satan has his throne. And the word for living, they're not just passing through a program. This is where their home is. This is where they reside. Uh they're not just passing through the cities and they're involved with all kinds of difficulties because of where they live. And uh and it's a great, it's just a great encouragement, I think, for all of us here in this room that Jesus knows your family, your city, your town, where you live, the time and history you're living. He knows exactly where you are. And he says, uh, Satan lives where you dwell too. And he doesn't tell them to leave the city. We'd get out of the town. He says, "No, no, Satan lives there, and you live there too." And he's going to talk about how to live there. But again, for 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 John, Satan has his home there. Uh, he's referring the fact that this is the seat of Roman government for the Asian Empire. So for him, he the, the latest development of way Satan is manifesting himself is through the whole idolatry, religious paganism of the Roman Empire, which has filled the empire, which is now coming to crush Christians. And so he goes, "I know you live where Satan has his throne." And uh, because, again, this, this was a center for emperor worship, where everyone once a year had to come and bow to the emperor and say, you know, Caesar is Lord. And uh, it was a very, very difficult place to be a Christian. I hope you can appreciate that. And, and so we have this one person here named Antipas that had died there for his faith. Now, uh, there was there's they've done a lot of archaeology in Pergamum, and I'm just going to quickly mention a few. They, they've uncovered five large temples and altars to Greek uh, and Roman gods. And I'll just mention them really quickly. One is called Dionysius, and, uh, which was the god who promised meaning in life and abundant life. And, and uh, they, they, would drink, they would drink wine and have these great festivals. And they drank so much wine and got, they were so immoral, these festivals to Dionysius, that even the Romans, who were not moral themselves, outlawed their festivals for their great immorality. That was in Pergamum. Then you had Asclepius, who was a very famous god throughout the Roman Empire. And Asclepius was known as the savior healer god, and was actually symbolized by the snake, which is a symbol for, for Satan. And a very huge temple, it was kind of like a modern day hospital, and all kinds of exercise routines, and a huge, huge excavation of Asclepius there. And have you seen Lourdes? They go, people go to Lourdes in France, you know? To, Asclepius, this temple of Asclepius was so massive that people would come from all over the world to this particular temple to get healed. Then it was also in Pergamum, a temple to uh, Demeter. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Who was the goddess of grain? So, if you wanted food on your table, just, just cover your bases and go to Demeter. Then you had Zeus, who's considered the creator of the universe, a big altar to Zeus on, on a mountain. He was considered king of kings and lord of lords. And then you had emperor worship, who uh, was considered lord of all, the, the king of the empire, the emperor. And uh, once a year, they had processions and sacrifices and feasts. And you would come and offer your incense once a year to the divine uh, Caesar, saying, Caesar is lord. And this is what was the bottom line of the clash of the Christians. Uh, this one here, and for Christians who refused to do that, of course, died. So, that gives you a sense of the tremendous pressure that Christians were under in Pergamon. Now, Thyatira was a smaller city, but it was different. And Thyatira was known, Michael, was known for its, um, was famous for its unions. And some of you belong to unions, perhaps, you know, one, Local 103, and, and uh, its trade guilds. In fact, lots have been written about this, and they had. Trade guilds to, uh, linen workers and slave dealers and bronze smiths and dyers and leather workers and tanners and bakers and potters. Everybody was part of a union. And, uh, and so you had to belong to your appropriate guild. Remember that person in Acts 16? What was her name? Lydia. She was from Dietira. Okay. She had a home. She was rich. She had a home in Philippi and she became Christian and all that. And, uh, but the thing about these trade guilds was they were all mixed in. They had, like, had, they had not just union meetings here at the Elks Lodge. They had, you know, common meals and pagan feasts and, and, uh, great immorality would go with it. But if you were going to work in the city, you had to blow with a trade deal. So what do you do if it's mixed in with all this pagan idolatry stuff and, and feasting and food sacrificed to idols, and yet now you're a Christian, you've got a big problem. And so the Christians in there had a big problem too because if they didn't go with this, how are they going to work? And they end up being isolated socially. So, uh, again, it was a criteria for membership that you, went along with this other gods. And so, the question is, how can I be a Christian and maintain my faith in these two cities? And the answer is, with great difficulty. Now, you'll notice in verse 13, uh, there are those who were faithful witnesses. And you'll notice, the only person mentioned, except for the Apostle John who wrote the book, in the whole book of Revelation, is Antipas, who's dead, because the church is under persecution. And he goes, you did not renounce your faith in me, verse 13, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city. And uh, some people were tempted to compromise with the beast, but did not. And this guy held faithful, and he died for it. And he encouraged them, some of you have been faithful to my name. But then he's going to go after all those who have not. And you'll notice, even in verse 19, the church of Thyatira, he commends them. You're working hard, you're persevering, you're serving, you're loving, and you're doing more than you did at first. So he, he gives them an encouraging word, but He says, now we're going back to last week. Remember, how do we conquer the beast? We conquer the beast, not by violence. You don't get the Roman Empire by blowing up abortion clinics, but by witnessing to what is true. And Michael, put put that overhead up. And remember, a witness, or as a testimony to the Greek word, is to give verbal witness to the truth. And the word there is for Antipas in verse 13 he was my faithful witness. And it cost him his life. He gave verbal witness to the truth. We said whenever you give verbal witness to the truth, you will experience opposition. That's the theme of Revelation, even unto death. And our word martyr, uh, we actually get from this word witness. And so remember, last week in twenty chapter 20, verse 4, we read, I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus, because of their witness for Jesus, they lost their heads. And because of the word of God, they had not worshipped the beast. And that's what Antipas did in... in uh, Pergamon in verse 13. And remember in chapter 11, when they finish their testimony, their witness, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower them and kill them. And uh, we talked about how the way the kingdom of God advances is through our verbal witness. But we follow the way of the Lamb of God. And in that verbal witness, we experience opposition, suffering, and sometimes death. And that is the way the new heaven and new earth comes. It is not by the power of Rome, military, economic, taking political power, getting the new president in power in the United States or the United Nations. It is by our verbal witness, even unto death, and here God allows the beast to kill some Christians, but they end up being on the throne and ruling forever and ever. And then you've got chapter 12, verse 17 at the bottom there. The dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, we talked about last week, if you don't have, if you're not holding to a verbal witness of Jesus, where you work, your home, your neighborhood, well, don't worry, the dragon's not upset with you. You're fine. And, um, and so what's happening now is that inside these churches, there are a couple of groups. Now, we don't know in great detail all about the groups, and I was very tempted to go beyond what at least we know. And I decided not to do that. And uh, But to say at least what's clear in this text, that you have three cults mentioned inside the church, or three streams of teaching, Balaam, Jezebel, and the Nicolaitans are mentioned just in a phrase. We know very, very little about them. And uh, so, but basically, in summary, and some commentators, they all differ. Some believe there were three different ones. Some believe they were all one name, one name for the same thing. What is clear is that, minimally, Balaam and Jezebel we're arguing that you can live in peaceful coexistence with the beast. You can be a Christian and you can live a Christian life in this place where Satan has his throne and you can coexist and bear witness and not have to suffer. But it was a compromising, a fatal compromise on both these parts and they were lax in their attitude towards the Roman Empire and the evil that was coming forth from it. And, uh, for that reason, Jesus goes after them. They wanted to avoid a headlong clash with the culture. And they accommodated themselves. So let's take Balaam. Okay, verse 14. First, I have a few things against you. You, you have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balaam to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. All right, this is very interesting. Because Balaam comes from Numbers chapter 22 to 25. And uh, Balaam was a prophet. But he was a prophet that uh, worshipped Baal. And Baal worship was the gods of... Uh, if you want the great crops, you want your animals to be fertile and produce more animals, you worship Baal. And so it was a great temptation for the Israelites. If you want the prosperity, you worship Baal. And so Balaam was a prophet. And he was asked by a king of Moab to curse Israel because the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and on their way to their promised land. And his king of Moabites hires Balaam to curse Israel. And Balaam can't curse Israel. And because he says, all God says is bless them, bless them, bless them. So four times he blesses Israel. And but then after he finishes blessing Israel, in chapter 31 of Numbers, it says this they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from the Lord and what happened to Peor. So what happened was this Balaam blesses Israel, and they get the blessing. And then he says, oh yeah, and by the way, worship Baal. The blessing came from him. And so they didn't wonder where the source of the blessing came from. They simply follow the blessing. And they end up in Baal worship. And uh, so he, he pulls them into idolatry, which in, again in those days was always mixed up with uh, you know sexual immorality and things like that. And there's a great point here, because not everyone who blesses you is good. And not every blessing is what may ultimately be from God, but you've got to find out what's the source of that blessing coming into your life. Because the blessing from Balaam led them in the wrong place. Thank you, you, Diane. Appreciate that. And so I've got to test the source of the blessing. Israel did not do that and ended up being led astray. Now what's happening is there are blessings that come with compromising with Rome. There are great blessings that come with compromising with Rome. I'll tell you, you're not going to get killed, first of all. You're not going to lose your job in Thyatira either. You're not going to lose your home. You're going to get in the best schools. There's a lot of blessings that come from compromising with Rome. And that is the teaching of Balaam. And so he's saying, don't you go that way of Balaam. There may be blessings of prosperity with that, but that is not from God for you. And it's going to take you and entice you. The word there, it's an interesting word there in in the Greek where they entice the Israelites. It's a trap. It looks like it's great food, but it's not. And you're going to step in there. It's going to grab you. It's going to silence you. It's going to destroy your witness to God. And so he says, you tolerate. You have people in your midst that hold to the teaching of Balaam. and it says, you know what? Don't worry about clashing with the Roman Empire. It's not a big deal. Yeah, worship Jesus, but you know what? Don't ah, throw the incense to the emperor. It's, it's all a joke anyway. We know it's not a real God. We know this all. he's not a guy, a parson. Everyone, half the pagans know that. Don't make such a big deal about it. And uh, it's very clever, it's very close, and he goes after it here. Then he goes to the teaching of Jezebel in Thyatira. And now, Jezebel is referring not to a woman who lived 1,100 years before this. There was a woman named Jezebel. But it's the kind of teaching that was flowing out of this. it. There was apparently a woman in the church who had authority, charisma, some movement going on inside this church in Thyatira. And uh, they're allowing this movement to kind of just keep going on. And it goes in verse 20, I have this against you. You tolerate this woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. And so, again, in the Old Testament, Jezebel was a prophet, uh, considered a prophetess, and, and she, she was dominant, she was seductive, she was a liar, she was manipulative, very powerful. But Jezebel was about compromising with the world. And Jezebel was married to Ahab, and if you remember the great fight with Elijah the prophet, and she actually had all these pagan feasts in and, and the Old Testament a thousand years before Christ, leading to sexual immorality, and, and basically saying, Jezebel saying this, don't worry about separating yourself from these labor guilds and the, and the Roman Empire. You're The spirit of God's in you. And she's apparently got some tremendous teaching from God called the deep truths, some deep truths in verse 24, you, and she, some tre- deep revelation from God, and Jesus says here, that's satanic, not from God. Very interesting. And, um, and just like Jezebel in the Old Testament... Uh, she brought together hundreds and hundreds of prophets of Baal and Asherah, and uh, she led the whole country down the tubes and tried to kill the prophetic voice, and there's a lot to be said about that. But again, the sum total of the Jezebelic offense here, and again, we don't, I don't, we don't have tremendous detail here, but we do know this, that the result of the teaching was it led the church to compromise in their attitude with the culture, and saying, it's okay It's not a big deal. You've got the spirit. You're born again. You're going to be in heaven. You're going to see him face to face. Don't worry about it. And Jesus says, you tolerate this. And Jesus understands it's going to destroy the church. Maybe not this generation, but the generation that's going to follow. It's your children and your children's children. They'll be gone. And so, what happens is, we create, and the temptation is to create a Christianity that fits in with, in our case, American culture, our beast, and Jesus says, "You have the church has to choose between Christ and Rome." And for Jesus, there is no in between. And these teachings, now whatever you want to call it, the Nicolaitans or another stream, all in some manner, shape, or form are finding a way to accommodate and not have this head-on collision with the culture. And Jesus comes and says, "There is no other way. The beast will not tolerate your verbal." witness to God, His truth, and His righteousness. Now, that's the easy part. Because we have to ask ourselves the question. This is tough. The call is not to leave the world, right? Whereas Christians, we live in the middle of a world that's dominated by the beast. And God doesn't say leave the world, but He calls us to engage it and to bear witness to what is true and suffer for that, even being faithful to the death. That's our calling. And in that way... The new heaven and new earth will come and God advances his kingdom. But here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Have we, this was a struggle for me, have we bought into the beast at New Life Fellowship? Or at the church in America, have we bought into the, I I think the beast in America is like the ocean in which we swim. It's so difficult to see because we live in it. And it's so much a part of who we are that we have to wrestle and step back and say, have we bought into, in a sense, the teaching of Balaam and Jezebel, ourselves, in the Church of Jesus Christ, where Trojan horse is inside. Now, what does compromise look like for us? Now, I'm not sure, but I'm going to throw you out a few things. Michael, this comes from... Um, no, where's the other one, Michael? OK. This comes from a uh, Guinness who's a Christian sociologist, and he writes about how the civilization right now is global. There's a global culture. Unlike the Babylon culture, or Roman culture, or Greek culture, uh, the culture, because of media, and technology, and capitalism, is worldwide. And he says he, he argues that it's the most powerful culture the world has ever known. Is present right now in the world. And it bombards us day and night. And he, he argues things like the core values, like more information, like internet, you know, information, 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 convenience, options, comfort, instant gratification, if it feels good, happiness, entertainment, maximizing our time, independence, image, style, skepticism, control. He says those are the gods that drive our culture. And everything has to work around that, including God. And that's his argument. And that that's the beast for him. Interesting to think about that. You can think about that for a while. But I've got my own little list. And I want to take you by it. They've got to come one by one. They've got to come one by one. Can you make it one by one? Try to do something one by one. All right, right, good, all right, good, okay. Okay, good, thank you. All right. Now, St. Anthony, in the third century, he was so burdened, he was an Egyptian Christian, he was so burdened by the beast being inside the church that he started what's called the monastic movement. He says the only way to preserve the church is to run away, and he moved to the desert, and he began the first monastery. He lived alone for 20 years in a cave and then some other folks joined him. He's the only way we're going to ever preserve the purity that God intends for his church is for us to begin these monastic movements. That's not what the revelation revelation is no you live in it with the beast and you bear witness to what is true and suffering even unto death. So I'm going to throw out to you five or six seven things as I've been thinking about it. What does it mean like for us to compartmentalize and then to bear what it means for us to not uh, compromise with the beast. All right. Number one is compartmentalization. What I mean by that is, it is very easy to, I think mean the Beast has to do this, That just like what's happening in Revelation, I'm a Christian here at church and in three or four areas of my life. But when it comes to work, whether I'm in medicine, law, real estate, politics, business, that's different than my faith over here. Or when I'm with my family I grew up with, I don't apply it over here, but I do apply it over there and we kind of compartmentalize life, and that's what was happening with these followers of Balaam and Jezebel. That's how they could, that's how they could get away with it. They had a, they kind of, is my Christianity over here, but Jesus is not Lord over all of my life. And uh, I think that is one. But Jesus is Lord of all of life, and we're called to witness to what is true everywhere, regardless of where it falls. The second, I, I think a big area for us is our view of wealth and riches. That was the bottom line issue here for Pergamum and Thyatira, was because if they were faithful to Jesus, it was going to cost them a whole nother understanding of wealth and riches. They were going to lose earthly wealth and riches. And, uh, you know, I, I read this. There's a great... There was a PBS special on... Uh, Michael, put it next to me. Af- uh, it's not there. Oh, okay. Go back. No, go back. Uh, there's a word called affluenza. And uh, affluenza is, means, as it describes Americans, a painful, contagious, socially transmitted disease of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste, resulting in the dogged pursuit of more wealth. Think about that. It's a painful, contagious condition of being overloaded in life, being in debt, being anxious, and wasting things. And uh, I think that in our culture, If you don't have a lot of material wealth, you're considered, you feel like a loser. I'm entitled to it. The world owes it to me. You can hear young people say, life is meaningless without wealth, without some possessions. And uh, it's good to have money and earn earn wealth, but uh, let's face it, the Bible is very clear that we're to seek first the kingdom of God, and that godliness with contentment is great gain, and the beast is not to own our soul. And I think it's a way that we make our decisions and the enemy gets a hold of us, about a whole direction of our lives that cripples us. But it's difficult to address in the richest country in the world at the richest time in history. All right, third I wrote down is identity and worth. I think it's very subtle. We're going to talk about this later. But we find our identity and worth in our educations, in our external looks or physique. Uh, How many youth find their... Image in their sneakers and their clothes. What's bigger and better, what other people think. Increasing your net worth, they're a loser. But our whole place of our identity and worth, and even as believers, what we pass on to our children, is so beast-like. And we wonder why our children, as the years go on, could care less. Because it's really in us. Because we bought into the lie of the beast. And we've allowed it and tolerated it, even in our own midst. All right, next one I, I wrote down was even the whole issue of our goals for our children, which are, you know, uh, you know I, I think of my kids. I'd like them to be successful and be comfortable in a worldly sense. And, uh, but really, success and our goals for our children is that they would love Jesus and they would love people and have a heart for the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed and be kids of character. I mean, that's success for our kids. But our culture, that, that, that's a loser in our culture. But we've got to fight that about what are we really driving after for our children. Uh, Next one I I wrote down is pride, power, control, and achievement, all which are great values in our culture, because the way of revelation is the way of humility, vulnerability, the cross, dependence, and brokenness. It's a low road of dying. Pride, worldly power, you've got everything under control, and worldly achievement In Revelation is the beast. And the way of the kingdom is the way of brokenness and humility and vulnerability and the way of the Lamb of God. It's the opposite. Possibly, lastly, is the way we compromise with the beast, is the way I think that we look at our sufferings and that we despair. We hit sufferings, and we all do. Are we full of hope or full of despair? Because uh, if you're full of despair, like if you're, in, if you're in Thyatira, Pergamum, and you hit sufferings, you know what you're going to do? If you don't got God's perspective, the beast's perspective, you're going to quit? Hey, I don't want to suffer. I'm going with Jezebel over here and Balaam. I like that church. It's wonderful. And uh, But God is sovereign. The Lord says to us, he's on the throne. And that one day we'll thank him for all the prayers he did not answer. God assures us, you. you will thank Him forever for all the prayers you prayed that He didn't answer because He's on the throne and He used His sufferings for your good, others' good, and His glory. And it is the way of Jesus, and it's the way of the cross, it's the way the kingdom advances in the book of Revelation. And finally, lastly, I just call it noise and busyness, which uh, I think the a noise and busyness that crushes us, that comes at us from all sides. And that if we're going to resist the idolatry of the beast, which is coming at us from the inside, the, 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 the understanding of Revelation is that the church is going to be constantly purifying itself from the filth of the beast by getting a vision of God as the one on the throne overall and our vision of the Lamb of God who's been slaughtered. And He is the one that we follow, led by the Holy Spirit. And so as I said last week, i go to the next one, about. I mentioned about these spiritual disciplines, there is no other way to get away from the noise and the busyness of our culture that I can think of as I wrestle with this outside of a commitment to engage, for all of us, in spiritual disciplines. To be able to hear God, purify our hearts and our minds of the pollution of the beast. To walk with Him on a daily basis, with our eyes, getting a vision of Him. And again, not that disciplines uh, force it, but they put us in a place to hear God and see Him, and see clearly. Whether it's solitude, on the one, or silence, or fasting, or simplicity, or chastity, or sacrifice. These, these are abstaining. That's why I encourage you. Try, do this fast this month, once a month. It's, it's healthy for you to abstain from food that man does not live by bread alone, but in every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And things like study of the word and worship and celebration and service and prayer and fellowship and confession, these are all anti-beast activities that purify your mind and keep us humble and on the low road of vulnerability, weakness, and humility. Wow. So if you're saying, I just want to fit in, I don't want to feel strange, I don't want to stand out, I don't want to be disliked, and I don't want to be uncomfortable, you're in big trouble. Because that's where groups of these Christians in these churches were coming into, and so you're going to find some teaching to go with that. And actually, a lot of this deep teaching of greater revelation is all about pride and power and control. And any teaching that does not make you a more loving person, you know something is wrong. And that's what most scholars believe was the, was the sin of the Nicolaitans. They were the Gnostics of the future, proto-Gnostics they're called, that were really into this extreme asceticism and they ended up becoming arrogant and powerful and worldly. All right, here's the solution. I'll close with this. The solution very simply is repentance. To overcome. The theme here, go to verse 17. He was has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, and he gives two promises here. Now, if you looked at in archaeology in Jesus' time at the home of a Jewish follower of Jesus, what was called the Palestinian Jews, and you looked at a Jew who had been assimilated into the Roman culture, and they've excavated both their homes, you would see two very different homes. Because what the, how these people lived that were part of the Roman Empire, and how those who lived were faithful followers of Yahweh were very different homes. Now, if they excavated your home after you died and dug it up uh, a thousand years later, would they know that you were a follower of Jesus? Now you're going to say, I'm going to leave some crosses around. I don't get crazy, all right? (laughs) But the call in each of these seven churches is to repent. And uh, and that's what I'm going to invite you to do. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, you've got to catch this. You don't have to respond. God does not force you. You are free. God loves you. He loves you. And somebody goes to him who has an ear to hear, who's able to hear this, it's so interesting because the Spirit of God can convict you, he can persuade you, but he will not force you. And God's love is so deep for you that it's free. He doesn't obligate you. The word repentance is to turn around from the beast to Jesus. And then he gives his great promise in verse 17 to him who repents or overcomes, I will give you your two deepest needs. I will give you some of the hidden manna. Interesting. Manna, which is that bread to eat in the, in, in the wilderness. Real food real, that will satisfy your deepest hungers for love and belonging in life that nothing on earth can satisfy. If you will turn to me, I will give that manna to you. And not only will I give you what your soul deepest longs for, but I will give you. Look at verse 17. The white stone with a new name written on it, and uh, the white stone is an identity issue. Who am I? Our great big question in life. And the white stone was used in Rome in different ways. But one way it was used in gladiator games. When a gladiator won a contest and became a big victor, the emperor would give him a white stone with his name on it. It would have S.P. on it, these two letters for valor. He instantly became a Roman citizen and in most cases became very rich and very often became a senator of Rome. And he goes, if you will repent, I will give you what what you really need and want, hidden manna, but I'll also give you a new name. Authority and identity of who you'll know who you are. With a great future, your old is gone. And with that, I want to invite you to repent and we're going to have communion together. And at this table, as an expression of repentance, as our solution to overcome, of real food that's satisfied. And I'll throw a second one down. No, I didn't. Okay. But let's all stand. The worship team, come on forward. Because it's not enough to ask people to to repent, which is turn away. But I'm inviting you this morning to turn to something. Turn to this Lord's table, and you're going to take a piece. Of bread, life, Jesus Himself, that which really satisfied you, you had to dip it in the cup, His blood, which was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, and receive a fresh authority of a new name of who I am. And that I don't have to get an identity from what the world offers or Rome or the beast because I'm now in Christ. So I'm going to invite you to just pray with me as we come back to God. Lord, I pray, as you say throughout Revelation, to repent is to be healed. I pray, God, by the Holy Spirit, you would move in our midst to enable us to turn away from those areas of our lives where we compromise with the beast. Even inside New Life Fellowship, in our own lives. And God, you know what it is for each one of us. From bitterness to hate, to hating our enemies or folks who disagree with us, or whatever it may be. And Lord, I pray you'd move in us as we come to this table to eat of life, you, Jesus. Your life inside of us and your life flowing through us. And then, Lord, to receive our our new name, which is Christian, authority, a future, and knowing who we are, loved by you. And so I pray, God, for your blessings to be poured out here in Jesus' name.